Well, if you haven't yet, dads, make sure you grab a donut for the dads before you leave from Jerry's Donuts this morning. Would you stand with me if you can and let's honor God, the reading of God's word through our key text this morning. We're going to go back to Acts 1-8, which we've been going back to this whole series. Would you read it with me this morning? It says, three, two, one, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit power. Thank you for filling us up. Uh, That's the kind of God you are. That's the kind of Father you are. You fill us up when we're empty, when we're broken. You heal us. You make all things new. We love you this morning. Do what only you can do in this time. Open our ears and our eyes that we may see and hear you and feel your presence this morning. We know you're here and we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So we're asking a huge question today. And the question is, what happens when God doesn't do a miracle? And so if you're new, you you may not know, but we've been journeying through the book of Acts. And if you've been around for a while, you know already that there are four major themes in the book of Acts. And I want to touch on them briefly. Um, Again, they'll come up on the screens. But I I want you to know that they're, they're, they're going on in the book of Acts and in your life and in my life and in the church in that day and in the church of this day. And we're going to see those themes all over again today as we read. And the reason we keep on coming back every single week to these four ideas is because when we do, it helps uh, you and I have a framework by which we can understand how to navigate our world. And sometimes we talked about um, last week, God intervenes supernaturally. He does the miraculous, the unexplainable, and there's a miracle. And, And no one has any human reason other than God must have done this, right? But there are other times in our lives where that's not the case, and, and we, we don't get that miracle that we hoped for, that we prayed for, that we believed for, and stood on God's word for. And so we're asking the question, what happens at that moment? And if we understand the big ideas of Acts, because they're the big ideas of the kingdom of God, not just simply the big ideas of this book, but they're the big ideas of all of our lives, then we'll have a framework in which we can understand God and walk with God and be faithful with God and believe in God's victory no matter what, amen? And so the four big ideas are these. There is authority, and we see that all through the book of Acts, and and this authority is your authority today, um, and it's my authority. Today, we have been given the name and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth over our lives, amen? And so we're not just roaming around on the planet. We are connected to the one who is seated on high on a throne. The second central theme of Acts is that we have an assignment for our lives. And so we're not just workers and students and mothers and fathers this morning, and we don't just have jobs on the planet Earth. We have an assignment on planet Earth to carry the message of Jesus to the world. Um, For that message, we have assistance. And Acts opens with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we know that we all have the power that we need to do uh, what God has called us to do because he's given it to us. And then the fourth significant idea is this, and we're living in it today, just so you know. This is, this is us. This is our story right now at Destiny Four Square Church um, is assimilation. 
That's, it's, it's us gathered together. That, that, that God was thinking you know, on that day, I want to unleash the gospel, but not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, including Rapid City and all its surrounding cities, including every other square inch of the planet Earth. And so I want to bring people who think they're far away and people who believe they are near, and I want to get them together through the cross of Jesus and knit them into family. I want to bring them together into a body called the church and the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so last week, we looked at the miracle in the message. And we started with chapter three of Acts. And in chapter three, a man crippled from birth who had been brought to the temple gate is healed by the power of the name of Jesus. And we talked about that miracle and what happened as a result of that miracle. And that was simply that the message of Jesus exploded into the hearts of the Jewish people right there in the temple. And, and many, many people, 120 people started this journey after the resurrection of Jesus immediately on day one. And, and Acts chapter two, that grew to 3,000 people added to faith on that day. And then after the miracle of the healing of this man in chapter three, we see very quickly that the church grew to 5,000. And so the miracle unleashed the message because it allowed Peter to preach into that moment, and then the church exploded again as people put their faith in God. But what happens, what happens if God doesn't do a miracle? We asked a a big question last week, does God still do the miraculous? And the answer is yes, of course he does. He can do anything he wants whenever he wants to do it. But at the same time, I want us to remember that our lives today, this very day that we're walking in, are made up of millions of little miracles. Everything that we do is a miracle. You're a miracle. Your ability to hear me talking right now is a miracle. Your ability to see me right now is a miracle. Your ability to understand and compute what is happening to get out of this place and move back into your day is a miracle. We are a progression of a succession of extraordinary supernatural events every single second of every single day. Um, So we're living in a miracle every time we take a breath on planet Earth. But above all that, God does intervene and he can move in power and he does move in power and we see that all throughout the scriptures and he does do the miraculous, but he doesn't do it the way we think he's gonna do it every single time. And so the question today that we're gonna ask is what happens when God doesn't do our miracle? Uh, Now the our part of that question is gonna be a key word you'll see as we move forward today because he always does a miracle if he is involved. Can I just say that? He, oh, it's always miraculous if God is in the story. It's gonna have a miraculous outcome because the miraculous God is in the story. But he might not always do our miracle. And so the one that we see in our mind's eye taking place, and we understand this clearly if we just journey into the very next part of Acts. That's where we're going today into chapter six. So if you've got your scripture, I want you to turn there and go through the story of Stephen with me this morning. Now, Remember, last week we talked about a two-pronged prayer of the church. Peter and John are arrested. They're uh, released from prison. They, they return to the believers, and when they do, they tell them everything that's happened. Um, the authorities have threatened them, and the, and the prayer that they all prayed together is found in chapter four, and we highlighted this last week, and it's essential again, I think, for the message today. And as they prayed, they started their prayer with, Lord Yahweh, you're the Lord of all. You're sovereign. You see this all. You, you're moving in all of this. We've talked about how powerful that opened 
opening was. But then they asked for two things. They had two prayer requests down in verse 29. And as they prayed for the apostles, they said, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. And number one, empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. So that's request number one. And second, stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. So it's them saying, God, we're asking for these men as they're under threat, give them extraordinary boldness, number one, enable them to speak the word with boldness. And second, stretch out your hand, God, to perform things that only you can do, not in our strength, but in your strength. And, and so I want us to see that coming into play in this day. In chapter six, it opens with the adding of seven servants to the team of this early church. A, a dispute re, uh, rose up, and you can read about that in the opening chapter or the opening part of chapter six. People were neglected, um, widows particularly. And so the apostles thought, we need more help in order to care for more people. And so they, they selected seven people, and it tells us who they picked in this text beginning in verse five. Everyone in the church loved this idea, so they chose seven men. One of them was a guy by the name of Stephen. And uh, then we get a description of Stephen, who was known as a man full of faith and overflowing with Holy Spirit. And then they list the rest of the people that were chosen. Let's go down to verse six. All seven stood before the apostles who laid their hands on them and prayed for them, commissioning them to this ministry. God's word reigned supreme and kept spreading. The number of Jesus followers in Jerusalem quickly grew and it increased by the day. Even a great number of Jewish priests became believers and were obedient to the faith. So, Everything that they did resulted in the spread of the message of, uh, uh, and, and the church. The miracle did that. The, the choosing of the seven men who, who could tell, take the load off of the apostles and serve the followers of Jesus did that. Everything that we're doing was funneling into those four big ideas that we talk about, the authority of Jesus. We have an assignment to take the name of Jesus to the world and the power of or assisted by the Holy Spirit so that we can believe and be assimilated into the beautiful body that we call the church. But now now we see this one guy named Stephen. And so beginning in the next verse, it says, Stephen, who was a man full of grace and supernatural power, performed many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. But opposition came in verse nine. It says, this upset some men belonging to a sect who called themselves the men set free. There were Libyans, Egyptians, and Turks, and they all confronted Stephen to argue with him. But the Holy Spirit gave Stephen remarkable wisdom to answer them. His words were prompted by the Holy Spirit and they could not refute what he said. So they couldn't handle the wisdom that God was giving him. And they were no match for the spirit of the power of God that, that was given to him. And so what did they do? They get a plan, they concoct a plan, they lied about him, they schemed against him, they devised false commentary about what he was teaching, and they tried to expose him to the religious leaders as an enemy of the teachings of Moses. And ultimately, that's what they did, they did that. But Stephen then rose and he spoke for himself. This is uh, um, verse one, chapter seven. The high priest asked, are these accusations true? 
And to this, he replied, and, and, and this is where the message comes in. I, I hope you don't get tired of this because I love it. Every time something happens after it comes the opportunity and the occasion for somebody to communicate the story of who Jesus is. And so now here comes another message and it's the message of Stephen. And it, so it starts in verse two and it goes all the way down through the rest of the chapter. Now we're not gonna read that this morning, um, but if you look through your scripture, you see, you'll see that quite lengthy message that he preaches. And then he comes down to verse 51 and he gets a little pointed and he says why would you be so stubborn as to close your hearts and your ears to me you are always opposing the holy spirit just like your forefathers which prophet was not persecuted and murdered by your ancestors name just one they killed them all even the ones who prophesied long ago of the coming of the righteous one now you follow in their steps and have become his betrayers and murderers so you know all these messages are bringing it back to Oh, and by the way, you're the people who crucified Jesus. And so he brings it down and he says, you murdered him and you, you've been given the law by the visitation of the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Now, how do you think that message went down? <laughs> Didn't go down very well. And we'll see that in the very next verse. When they heard these things, they were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls, and they gnashed their teeth at him. <laughs> so... This is all about to break loose. And everything's going to go all wrong in our human way of understanding for the next couple of minutes, okay? But I want you to notice the paradox of the power of God. Even though what would seem like the miraculous intervention of God that doesn't happen in this case, we, we, we already know about Stephen, he can, he can do wonders. And, and Stephen uh, is full of Holy Spirit. We, we already know that about Stephen, that he's got Holy Spirit power in his life. He's moving in the miraculous. He, he's seeing that in his life. But even with that, notice how things go down. And so it says in verse 55, they're coming at him with fury, but Stephen overtaken with great faith and qualification here, he was what? full of the Holy Spirit, he fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God. And Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God, look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears and their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. And then they pounced on him and they threw him outside the city walls to stone him. Why? Because what he ultimately did was the most significant statement of blasphemy that he can make. He's saying, look, I, I, I can see into heaven and there is Jehovah God, that's, that's Yahweh God, the sovereign one. There is the God of our fathers and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And guess what? I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's the power position. That's the risen position. That's the authority position. And so he's saying, the Jesus that you murdered, guys, you missed it. You missed the plot. You missed the story. You missed what God was doing. And, and that Jesus, guess what? He's standing right now in the power position of all ruling authority at the right hand of God. And, and, and so they, they cover their ears, it says. They're like little kids. They cover their ears and start going, nah, nah, nah. they don't want to hear what he's saying, right? And they start yelling as loud as they could. And they grab Stephen and they drug him out of the city and they began to stone him to death. And this is what happened in verse 59. 
As they hurled stone after stone at him, Stephen prayed, our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. He crumpled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. So I, I wonder where he got that script, right? I wonder if Stephen had heard the recounting of the story of the crucifixion of Jesus uh, from people that were close enough to hear him, even at the very end of his life, saying, God, forgive these men for they know not what they do. And then chapter eight, verse one, Saul was there, Saul who, who became Paul. He's approving Stephen's death. And so what happened? What happened in this story? We've got a man that is full of Holy Spirit. We've got a man who can do miraculous things through him. Yet in this moment, when he's sharing the story of Jesus in the context of the Jewish faith, it cuts people to the heart. They're furious at him and they come to take his life. Why didn't he just say, God, I know you can do anything right now, so deliver me out of evil, break me out of this plan of theirs and intervene miraculously in this moment. But it didn't go down that way. And, and, and God let it all go down just the way it went down. And so what happens then? And, and what do we see in this text when God doesn't do the miracle that we would expect that you know, we would want him to do, that, you know, that we would expect that he's gonna do? And so what can we take from this text and apply to our lives for the circumstances and situations where we don't get our miracle? Well, number one, I just want to make it really clear again that I believe God always does a miracle. And I think he does a miracle in this text. In fact, I think we see at least four miracles that are about to unfold in this story right here. And those same four miracles can unfold in your life and in my life, even if we don't get the miracle that's our miracle. We can still experience a miracle in every circumstance, with every outcome, and in any situation. And so no matter how bleak the event seems, and, and, you know, we, we can see that. And so the first miracle that we see in this text is that God did, in fact, give Stephen, this was one of the prayers, right? He gave him extraordinary boldness in the face of intense persecution, in opposition. And that's a miracle. So, you know, if, if, if I'm honest, you know, what they're asking me to do at work, uh, I might lose my job if I don't do, you know, what the boss wants me to do and uh, go the way that he wants me to go, which I know is not a path of integrity. And so I could lose my job. But you know what? I, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to do what I know would please and honor God. Um, and so in this very circumstance, and I know the consequences could be big as a result of that. But you know what? I'm asking God to give me the extraordinary, supernatural confidence and power at that moment. That's what it was. So for young people, it's for, 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 you, know, for you to stand um, up to the, your partying friends who are digging holes that are empty wells. Uh, but they're convinced that that's where the scene is and for you to stand up during that and say, you know, I've, I've been to the party, you know, I've, and I've been down your empty roads and I've bent down to your bottomless pits of nothingness and I want to stand and say that's not the way to live. Jesus is the way to live. Jesus is the one who set me free. And you know, when you do that, some popularity may go by the wayside, some opposition may arise, some persecution may arise, but you've trusted God to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to rise in that moment, right? Not with a lot of heated words, but to rise with confidence inside of your heart that says, God's gonna give me the boldness that I need at this moment. Stephen died. 
And there was such an extraordinary measure of God's grace in his life. And if you look at chapter six, I mean, you could go down. I kind of marked them as I was reading it through verse five, verse eight, verse 15, chapter seven, verse 55. All you see described about him is the power of God resting on his life. In, in one place it says it looked like he had the face of an angel. And that same power was on him until the very last breath that he breathed. It's, it's hard to imagine what it looks like to see boulders coming in, they're coming your way to crush you to, to your death. And for you to still be speaking words of forgiveness in that moment and speaking words of God's grace and trusting your life to the power of God. How do you do that? How do you forgive the people who are trying to take you out? You do that by the miraculous and supernatural power of God. That, that was a miracle right there. And so the, 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 I just wanted to point that out before we go any further. That was, a, that was a big miracle. The second miracle that we see similar to this is that Stephen was triumphant in his grace, even in his death. So in other words, he wasn't playing the victim card. <laughs> We're no longer victims. How many of you know that? But through Christ, we have now become the victor. So how do we do that? Because Christ is no longer a victim. He suffered. He was beaten. Yes, he was abused. He was sold out. He was abandoned. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was crucified. And he did die. And they even humiliated him while he died. But Jesus isn't a victim. He doesn't play the victim card, does he? He, he doesn't. You know, you know and identify him as, you know, you know, hey, you know me, Jesus, you know, the one that all the bad things happened to. That's, that wasn't his story, right? He didn't ever say that. No, we know the victory story of Jesus because of the resurrection power and God's power. He's the victor now and into eternity. And so Jesus, who was victimized by the hands of these men and the Roman authorities is now removed from that place and he is now reigning and he's the victor in the world. And when we understand that we have the same status as Jesus, that we've been linked to Jesus, and it's not just Jesus and then us, but it's us in Jesus. It's not Jesus' story, and, and, then, and then it's my story. No, it's my story has been joined into Jesus' story. So no matter what happens or what comes my way, when darkness, what evil, what difficulty, what circumstance, in Christ, I rise with him. Come on, somebody. And I am seated right now, joined right now with him in a victorious place. So even at the end, the power rests on Stephen. And Stephen doesn't take the victim story. He doesn't. He doesn't even take up the martyr story. He takes up the God is in control of my life story. <laughs> And I still have a chance, even in my last breath, to pray for people, to care about people, to love people, to look out for the people who are stoning me. And I'm not going, oh my goodness, God, where are you? What happened? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you coming to my aid? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing a miracle? He's like, no, these people don't know what I know, and they haven't experienced and tasted what I've experienced and tasted, God have mercy on them. And I wanna extend forgiveness to them, God, because they don't know what they're doing right now. 
He had boldness, but he also had an extraordinary triumphant grace in his life, even in death. Where do you get that? You get that by the miraculous work and the power of Holy Spirit in your life. The third miracle that happened in this text is that Stephen was transported into heaven. Can we just think about that for a moment? I know we just kind of skip over this with all of our lives. I mean, this is phenomenal. I mean, I, at any of us, if we're going to face up to, to some type of, you know, severe um, physical circumstance, we're going to be praying for God to heal us in our lives, right? And it, it is an incredible thing to walk out the front door of a hospital after the doctor told you, you know, you're not going to make it, right? <laughs> and so it is fantastic to walk out of that door and celebrate the supernatural power of God. But let's don't discount the fact that if you don't walk out the front door, you go out through the roof. (laughs) As the angels of God come into that place and escort you on behalf of Almighty, who has all rule and has all authority, and they escort you right out of Monument Hospital and right into the presence of Almighty God. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And so I used, to, I used to fly a lot um, for my district uh, position. And if, and if you've flown enough, you've probably um, seen something like this in the picture we're going to put up on the screen, the Delta Flight Guard. And when you do see this, you'll likely see some people who just kind of stop what they're doing and show some respect and, and gratitude for the men and women who defend our nation and fight for our freedom. And we don't know the story of every soldier, of course, but we can see the sacrifice right away. You can see it. And I know that waiting on the other end of that flight will be a picture like this other image that we're going to put up on the screen. Valiant warriors being taken from one flight to their final flight where this honor guard would wait for their arrival. Delta had the forethought and the decency to create this little cart that signifies that this is the pride of our nation. This is the pride of America. This is a hero right here and we're going to transport them with that kind of dignity. And in this text, it's extraordinary what happens. All through the epistles, we see Jesus taking his place, seated at the right hand of God, seated in rule, authority, and in power. But in this text, Stephen tells us that he saw Jesus not seated at the right hand of God, but standing at the right hand of God. And I wonder if this applies across the board to every person who lives for Jesus and honors him and takes on board his name and authority for the assignment that he's been given us to move in the power of the Holy Spirit to birth the church in every place in the world. And I wonder if that when the saints of God come to the end of their journey, whether it's in a traffic uh, accident on a lonely road or if it's in a hospital bed in the middle of a city or if it's in their sleep in the middle of the night, when the faithful servants of God, the warriors on this planet, on this earth for God, when they come to the end of their days on the earth, the seated ones stands in honor of the sons and the daughters. I wonder, they're coming home faithfully after living their lives in the power of Holy Spirit, accomplishing the plans that he has given them to do. And Stephen sees heaven open and he sees it. Stones are crushing into his body. His breath is fleeing. His life is momentary, but he sees heaven open up before him and he sees his savior and he sees his redeemer and he sees Jesus himself standing up 
and welcoming him into eternity and into paradise. And, and the angels have come to transport Stephen out of the earth and into the very presence of God. And every time it happens, that's an extraordinary miracle of God. Every time. You've, you've heard it said many times, you've heard stories, there's, there's a dying person in a hospital bed and many prayers for their healing are lifted and you know, many prayers that they would rise up out of that bed. And, and you know, I've been the person that's been there praying for them. But as, as someone is standing by the bed and talking, the one in the bed looks past that person and they're, they're saying, you know, who's that? And the family uh, members looks over their shoulder knowing that nobody else is in the room, but oh no, there's somebody else in the room, all right. <laughs> And it's the angel escort of God who has arrived on the scene, miraculously breaking through to take God's son and God's daughter into heaven. And a miracle happens. And just maybe, I believe it may be so that every time it happens that Jesus stands. The fourth miracle that happened is that the church exploded. Hello? No surprise to us by now. Reading through the book of Acts um, that we're journeying through. And when miracles happen... What happens? The church explodes. Guess what happens when our miracle doesn't happen? The church explodes. <laughs> when our miracle doesn't happen, the church still explodes. Guess what happens when it goes our way? The church explodes. <laughs> Guess what happens when it doesn't work out the way we thought? The church explodes. If we're on board with the assignment, leaned into the assistance of the Holy Spirit, the church is gonna explode no matter the outcome. If we get put in prison, the church is gonna explode. <laughs> if we get released from prison, the church is going to explode. If we live, the church is going to explode. If we die, the church is going to explode. In the hands of a sovereign God, it doesn't matter what the circumstance, the outcome is going to be the same every single time. And we read this right in chapter 8. It says, now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participated in his execution. And as a footnote, we'll come back to it a little bit later. You know, Saul persecuted the church, but he ultimately saw Jesus and became the hero, you know, of the New Testament church later on in the story. And I bet he never forgot the grace that was on Stephen's life when he saw him giving up his right for God's glory. I bet he never forgot that. I bet he never shook that even, you know, when he breathed out threats. You know, we're going to see that. He persecuted the church. But I bet Saul never forgot the look on Stephen's face. I bet every night when he went to sleep, he could see that face and he thought, we're gonna snuff them out. But this guy, Stephen, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. There was joy in his life. Even at the end when it was finished, there was still joy in his life. Now, here's why I think that's important. And this is just another one of, of, of those pastoral moments. If we let the pendulum swing all the way over to, you know, everybody gets healed every time, we all pray the same prayer. You know, we have the same faith. We use this, the same name of Jesus and everybody's gonna get a miracle. Everybody's gonna get healing. Everybody's gonna see deliverance every single time in the way that we think the miracle should go. If that is the camp that we live in, I'll tell you what it does. It robs us of the opportunity to suffer well and to glorify God even though the miracle that we hoped for didn't happen. And when we die with joy on our faces, we see it time and time again in scripture. When we suffer with joy, when the circumstances didn't work out, but we still praise God, it's absolutely undeniable to the world that Jesus is alive. So the message goes out like that and it goes out to everybody in the courtroom and everybody in the classroom and everybody in the boardroom and everybody in the emergency room and it goes out to everybody. God is on that person's life. God is in this family's life. God was present there and the message goes out. 
But it even went out more than that. In this text, it says in verse two, from that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. All the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea among the Samaritans. Okay, terrible day, right? That doesn't sound good. Persecution broke out. No, it was a great day because when the persecution came, the believers, I want you to see this. The core group of believers, now they begin to scatter for their safety and for their lives. And where did they go? They started in Jerusalem. And see if this sounds familiar. They went out into Judea and they even went out into Samaria. And the reason why that sounds familiar is because that's the assignment and that's the plan. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and where? All of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, so we've covered Jerusalem. We had a healing at the temple, an amazing sermon by Peter. We, we imprisoned Peter and John, and we've, we've even got the high priest now hearing the gospel. We selected the seven. Um, Stephen has been challenged. Stephen has preached an amazing message. Stephen has been dragged out of the city. Well, now it's the time because we preached the gospel in Jerusalem. It's time to move out to, to, to Judea and Samaria. But guess what? Here's the thing. We're not good at moving out of our comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I want you to hear this this morning I'm not, I'm not the persecution was how God moved his people and I know and maybe you know this in your life the most challenging days of my life and the most brutal weeks in our family's lives are the ones that many times will propel us into the purposes and the plans of God I've ended up in places where I would not have chosen to be. But because of the most challenging days of my life, it's, it's likely, and I, and I don't understand you know, the, the economy of God altogether, but it's likely if our family hadn't gone through some of those hardships and struggles that I wouldn't be where I am in Rapid City right now. And I wouldn't be standing here right now. But because of them, Deanna and I followed a path right here. And ultimately, I'm standing here today because of my journey, not out of one day, you know, sitting on a beach, you know, going, hey, babe, I feel amazing. You feel amazing? I feel great about life. You know, you feel great about life? I know what we should do. Let's, you know, do X. No, some of the most significant moments and moves in our lives were because of hardship. I lost a job. You know, we, we weren't getting the money that we needed. We had to, we had to make a move. That, there, there was all these moments. There was the catapult that moved us out of where we were into where God wanted us to be. And I think that for many of us, that's kind of the way it is sometimes. And even at this moment, the persecution came. But when the persecution came, the church scattered. And that was the plan. That was the plan. That was the assignment. And guess what the church did when they scattered? They didn't disperse as victims. They didn't do that. They didn't scatter and say, man, we had it all going in Jerusalem. Look at us now. We're on the run for our lives. You know, we're moving out into Judea and Samaria. And man, we're just victims of oppression and persecution and hardship and difficulty and challenge. They didn't move out that way as victims. They moved out knowing, you know what? 
we are no longer victims because we now are with Christ in victory. And so we're going to Judea and we're going to Samaria. And guess what we're gonna do in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria? Look what it says in the text down in verse four. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? They, they didn't go out of the city going, well, God didn't come through for us. I mean, you know, they killed Stephen. And when they killed Stephen, it all started with this persecution. And, and now it's just blowing the whole thing up. And so we've, we've got to get out of Jerusalem now. No, their attitude was wherever we go, we'll be sharing the message and carrying the story and unpacking our assignment wherever we go, because we're going in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's shooting us in that bow like a flaming arrow. And so here we are, chapter eight in Acts, Jerusalem, checkmark, Judea, checkmark, Samaria, checkmark. And in a few pages, we're gonna see the uttermost parts of the earth because God has a purpose and God has a plan and God is on a mission and his purpose and his plan and his mission are not gonna fail. They're not gonna fail, they're gonna succeed. And they're succeeding right now. They're succeeding right now in this place on this day. God-fearing men, verse two, gave Stephen a, a proper burial and they mourned greatly over his death. So there was pain, there was agony, there was you know, the reality of the situation. There was not a glib, you know, oh, Stephen died. There was heartbreak and there was sorrow. But at the same time, the mission went forward. It says, then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God. And you're like, man, God, I wish you had done a miracle because look, now he's destroying the church. And it says, he's going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. Although believers, although the believers were scattered by persecution, they preached the wonderful news of the word of God wherever they went. So where does that leave you and me today? I think it leaves us with a simple formula. Maybe, maybe not a formula, but a, a path. It leads us to those two prayers. God enable us to speak boldly no matter what. And stretch out your hand to do miracles. And if the miracle is that the stones crumble in midair and don't even touch us, and then we just keep on preaching, do that miracle. That would be nice. But if the miracle is that we die, then explode the church and expand the message and erupt in the, heart, erupt in the hearts of the people, the glory and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and build your church at all costs. And so in those two prayers, enable us, in boldness and stretch out your hands to do the miraculous. I think we see a few things that I would encourage you to be a part of your journey, especially if you're in a hardship right now, okay? So number one, don't forget to ask God for a miracle. And in fact, I would encourage you to ask God for a miracle. <laughs> ask him for what you see is a miracle and ask him to do what you, know, you, want, him, you want to ask him to do. The, the scripture says we have not because what? We ask not, James 4, 3. I don't ever want to be in the camp of people uh, with God where he says, you know, I would have done that, but you never asked. I would have intervened, but you never asked. I would have changed the story, but you didn't ask. I would have provided, but you didn't ask. 
we always have financial needs at Destiny. And so we're always on our knees. And I always say to God, we're asking God because we don't want to be in a camp where later you say, well, I would have, but you didn't ask. We're, we're in a good place when we're asking and seeking and knocking. Amen. That's a good place to be. We're believing. We're standing on your word. We know you can do anything, anytime, anywhere that you want to do it. So I would encourage you in Jesus' name with boldness and with confidence in God to ask him for a miracle. The second thing, yeah, come on, amen. The second thing I would encourage us to do is to surrender to the sovereign plans of God. And these ideas are not at war with one another, okay? They're not. It's not an either or, it's a both and. God, do a miracle. Do the miracle. But you are sovereign, God, so do the miracle that you wanna do. I know there's gonna be a miracle either way because you're a miracle working God, so do the miracle that you wanna do, God, so that the most glory will come ultimately to you when I surrender. So I say, God, that it's not about me, it's not about my story, it's not my will, my way, and my plans, and my purpose, or my agenda. No, it is your agenda. It's for your glory. It's for your fame. It's your name. It's your praise. It's your story. So I'm going to confess while I am getting my cancer treatment, I am not a victim to cancer. Why? Because I am sitting right now in the victory of Jesus Christ. Death comes into our world and it is painful. We mourn as everybody else in the world mourns, but we, we, we go to the grave just like everybody else. We are sorrowful like they are sorrowful, but we can say, I am not a victim. I am in Christ a victor. And the grave isn't the victory. Christ is the victory. The grave doesn't win. Christ wins and therefore we win. And so though we can be filled with sorrow, we're not victims of the grave and we stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. Maybe the circumstance and my job and our community, our family right now is not going our way. But we're not victims. We're not. We're in Christ victorious. We're yielding to the sovereign will and the plans of God who does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and through whom he chooses. So I'm asking for a miracle, but I'm gonna surrender as they did in prayer to the sovereign God. They started their prayer saying, you are sovereign God. Your plans. The third thing I wanna do is I wanna raise the volume of the gospel above the narrative of the circumstance. I'm not gonna let the headline be whatever I'm walking through. I'm not gonna let it be the circumstance. Okay, that's not gonna be the loudest thing in my life. I'm gonna make sure that the headline is Jesus. (laughs) That's that's reserved for Jesus. Oh, there is a circumstance, but that's that's not gonna get the front page headline in my life. I've got a headline right now, and the gospel is gonna get the headline in my life every single day. And then the last thing, and we touched on it already, is I wanna encourage us to ask God to give us the grace to suffer well. You know, you know that we're gonna suffer on planet Earth? Hello? There's gonna be hardship. Jesus said, in this unbelieving world, you will experience 
trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have what? I've conquered the world. I'm the victor. So there's gonna be hardship and there's gonna be difficulty. And there's gonna be pain and trials of all kinds. And we have the option and the opportunity not to escape it, not to escape the suffering. We have the chance to be empowered by Holy Spirit, listen, to suffer well. I, I love this passage. We didn't really land on it too much last week, but listen to what happened when Peter and John were in prison the second time. This is right above Stephen's story. And I just wanna go back to it for just a second. Chapter five, verse 40. It says, Gamaliel's, I don't know if I said that right, words convinced the council. He was intervening for their lives. They were gonna be put to death. And so they brought the apostle back in and had them, uh, the apostles back in and had them severely beaten. They ordered them again to, to never, never again to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. The apostles left rejoicing. Now, what's wrong with that story? <laughs> they got pulled in by the authorities. They got threatened. They end up getting flogged, which is a beating. They were suffering for the gospel. It wasn't fun. It, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't what any of us would want. But when they let them go, they left rejoicing. They were happy. They were excited when they left. Why were they happy? And why were they rejoicing when they left? It says the apostles left there rejoicing, thrilled that God had considered them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They had been counted worthy of joining in with Jesus' suffering and amid a difficult circumstance, they were able to identify with what Christ had done for us. And we can suffer well under pressure, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, to suffer well in hardship, to not turn the story all the time to, oh my goodness, you know, we went through this thing that was so hard and, and so difficult and it was such a burden to honor God and serve him through that versus, no, what great joy it is. What a great joy to be able to live under the power and the authority and the victory of Jesus. And to be able to say in any circumstance and in any situation, to be able to say to the world, this is not the resting place of me. This isn't my final stop on this journey. I'm a visitor traveling you know, through a broken world in the power of Holy Spirit for the name of Jesus. And whatever comes my way, I know that my God will take all of it and use it for his good and for his glory ultimately in his story. When God does a miracle, we get it. And he does miracles so that the message of Jesus can explode and the church can be born. But when God doesn't do our miracle, he still does a miracle every time. He still does. He does. And he, and he does it that way so that the message can go forward and so that the church can explode in great power. He works everything out for good, amen? Amen. God, thank you for your word to us this morning. You know, we wrap that all up in the message that you are a good father. Your heart for us is good. And you are a healing God. You are a rescuing God. You are a powerful God. 
And Lord, so we come this morning in every situation, in every circumstance that is hard, and Lord, we ask for you to do the miraculous. We come to you in your name and in your power to do what only you can do. And Lord, we believe that we will see and experience miracles in your name and in your power. And in the same breath, when things don't look like it turns out our way, Lord, help us to realize and understand that you still are a miracle working God. We just might not see the whole story. And so God, we put our trust and our hope and our lives and we surrender them at your feet. God, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your miracle working power this morning. In fact, let's just do this. If you need a miracle this morning, just, just kind of put your hands out and we can, we can ask right now. Doesn't need to be music playing or any, anybody even laying hands on you. We have a miracle working God who moves in power and he can touch you right in row 10, seat number seven, right where you're at this morning. God, do what only you can do. And do it right here and right now this morning. We pray for healing. We pray for your miraculous Holy Spirit power to come in our lives and wreck and ruin every plan of the enemy and every illness, every sickness, every disease, every emotional hurt, everything that needs healed this morning. God, every financial need Lord, we lift it up before you this morning and we say, God, do what only you can do. You are a miracle working God. Thank you. We say it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Maybe you're here this morning and just before we close, I, I, I wanna give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Um, We've been talking about a miracle working God all day, all, this, all morning, even from when we started singing our songs this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never um, invited him to be a personal uh, savior in your life and have a relationship with him, that's what it is. It's not religion. It's not a tradition, but it's a relationship with a living God who's alive and, and very present um, and who uh, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. And if that's you this morning, I just wanna agree and pray with you. Can we all just pray this together right now? Say, Father God, I give you my life. I bend my life to you. Come and be my rescue. Lead me, be my savior. Thank you for your death on the cross. You gave your life for me. And I give my life to you, all of my life. I surrender. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. God is good. Mm -hmm.